This podcast is brought to you by The Province. The Province Sports Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Try and Talk a Podcast. As always, I am Patrick Johnson here in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. And uh, this week, it is February 2nd, we're bringing uh, Brian Ray from this uh, from America's Rugby News. Brian, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Coast to coast, you know, it's, it's exciting days here. That's right. Uh, speaking of coast to coast, let's get right to it. Uh, you, you, as I said, are in Halifax. You got to see the... Uh, penultimate stop of the coast-to-coast cross-Canada world tour uh, with Mr. Uh, Gareth Reese and Jim Dixon, uh, the, the Rugby Canada kind of men's uh, program head honchos and talking to fans. I guess they've, they've been to a couple stops in the – or three stops in the Prairies. They were at a national conference. Uh, they were in Quebec, Halifax. Uh, I believe they're going to St. John's on Wednesday – um, and then they actually come back to the West Coast. They've got to stop in Vancouver on February 10th, and then they say they're also going to have something in Victoria, but uh, they haven't confirmed that yet. What, uh, I don't know, what caught your eye? I mean, our, our eye obviously was something you mentioned today about them pro- possibly playing at BC Place in June. Uh, but what else What else do you think is notable? To- yeah, you know, um, I think when I first heard about it, uh, I, myself and Sir and lots of others were a little bit skeptical about what exactly we would hear from this and uh, what their message was going to be. But actually, uh, to their credit, they were, they were pretty uh, forthcoming with, and they uh, were pretty detailed with, with what they're talking about. Um, There's quite a bit more information in there than, than I expected. I really was kind of just going to, to listen. It wasn't in any kind of writing capacity. I didn't even take notes. It was all mental stuff. Um, But, you know, that was the first, for me, that was the first I'd heard of the Russia test. I'd, I'd heard, little things about the Japan game, but I hadn't heard that Russia was coming. So that was interesting to hear. Um, they got a little bit more into their, uh, the centralized athletes plan, a little bit more detailed, um, kind of, you know, you'd asked that question before about where's the money going to come from. And that still seems to be a legitimate question, but they, they kind of said that world rugby was giving them a specific grant that is going specifically for that, that reason for the centralized funding and for paying for coaches and staff and so on. Um, and yeah, the BC place, um, sound of things, uh, the sales for the sevens are going really well. And, and now they're looking at that as an option for the Japan test. So that's really interesting. I mean, it's, uh, it, it seems ambitious. Certainly if you had said that last year, I would have said no way. Um, you know, BC place is what 50,000 capacity, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's it's a big place, and I mean, the sevens, for instance, they're you know for those people who are listening but have never been to a Whitecaps game, for instance, um, the Whitecaps have have been using only the lower bowl. The BC Lions actually borrowed this model last year because it is such a it is a huge stadium, um, and and BC Lions football, which has not been doing all that great in recent years. Um, you know, still drawing decent crowds, but you know, historically they would draw thirty, thirty-five, sometimes even forty thousand for a big game, which meant you know that the upper bowl looked okay. But they kind of said, you know what, let's put everybody together like the Whitecaps do. We'll keep them all in the lower bowl. They have these um, these sort of drapes. I, I don't quite know how to describe it, but they basically create a, a false ceiling over the stands, 
which helps contain the noise. And obviously in a soccer game, part of the appeal is, is the, the crowd noise, the fans singing and whatnot. And, and, you know, the, the white caps have created quite a unique atmosphere. Uh, the, the difference between the sevens and the white caps is that the white caps have actually capped their uh, ticket sales at less than the total uh, amount of seats in the lower bowl. The lower bowl seats something like 27,500, depending on how, quite how you count. And the Whitecaps generally have capped theirs at about 21. But, uh, uh, you know, there's been pressure in the last couple seasons to make that bigger. The Lions went with the full lower bowl. Uh, Canada's sevens, last I heard, was in the range of twenty one to 22,000 all in once you counted, uh, you know, sponsor tickets and that kind of thing. Um, so they're feeling good. I think there's good momentum towards them moving uh, close to a full sellout uh, each day. Uh, so yeah, I mean it, it's it, it's you know as you noted, it, it's a, it is ambitious, but it's something that they've talked about before. I know this is not the this is not something out of the blue. You know, three years ago they wanted to play a second Ireland test at BC Place, but we're basically told you know that they had. You know, the IRB, at, as they were called then, had already done testing on the field and said, you guys can't play here. This this surface will break apart. It's not safe for players. You have to get a new surface. And so that was part of the part of the rationale behind uh, Rugby Canada, as well as Soccer Canada, putting that new surface in uh, before the Women's World Cup last year, that it would be rugby specific, you know, rugby tolerable. Uh, and that's how they got the sevens. So, you know, this is not a new idea. And... You know they they wouldn't do it if they didn't believe they really believe they could get more than ten thousand people in there because you know ten thousand isn't doesn't look amazing but it looks okay and um, you know the the soccer Canada is now playing an, uh, their second straight men's World Cup qualifier they're playing Mexico here at the end of March they're expecting more than forty thousand people so you know so the idea of Vancouver is as a as a home base for Team Canada. You know, we've we've seen Toronto develop that mentality a little bit in recent years, and it looks like Vancouver is kind of kind of getting into that bracket as well. Well, it's uh, you know historically, certainly in recent years, the BC crowds just haven't been that great, unfortunately, and which doesn't really make a lot of sense when you look at the numbers of rugby players. You think the popularity of the sport they would do better. Um, it, it seems to be getting a little bit of a push. There seems to be kind of a little bit more momentum around stuff around like the BC Bears and so on. Um, so hopefully we'll see some decent numbers. I'm sure they're kind of looking at this at Japan coming and saying, hey, they beat they beat South Africa. That's a huge, huge deal. It's a massive explosion. Hopefully that burst in popularity will help sales as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's if they could pull it off. I mean, our, our record's, what, 20,000 at, at uh, BMO in Toronto. So. Um, well, actually, they did better than that. I think for the uh, the sevens, the Pan Am, yeah, or at least in that neighborhood, that yeah. ballpark, anyway. So around twenty thousand. So you know, t- if they could get twenty thousand out in Vancouver, I think it'd be fantastic. I think with obviously with the geography in the country, there'll always be a bit of splitting between Toronto and BC. But if they had those those two big prime home bases where they could actually kind of maybe make some money on those tests. Then uh, yeah, that, that that'd be great for Rugby Canada. I think uh, you know the the thing as well is it's not even necessarily players. I mean that's always been the challenge with them getting a Bears program going is because the the BC season has traditionally run through the winter. You know, sort of goes fall to spring. Uh, you know, I've said it before and uh, I will keep saying it. Fundamentally, our season is too long. I think that's one of their big problems, and and it's been an issue for a while. And I think that's partly why you know clubs are have been struggling in recent years to recruit players, and that's partly been then felt by the Bears by players just thinking, feeling a 
it doesn't really matter. You know, I don't think I have a chance to play for Rugby Canada and, and B, uh, you know, I want a break. It's summertime. I want to do something else. And, and so, you know, I mean, that, that was this, just before moving along, that was a side point to what, uh, you know, Mike James and Gabriel Fulcher told me earlier this month when I was talking to them. They're the new uh, coach and management team for, uh, for the Bears. Um, and it was the same thing that Francois Rattier has been telling us. It said this team playing in the RC is, you know, heavily based on performance in the CRC. That's where they got to see these, a lot of these players really get a sense of what they're actually able to do. Um, and you know, that's, that's the message they're trying to send, you know, it's up to the players to believe it, but, uh, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I just wanted to cycle back a little bit to what you were saying about the, about the presentation, what kinds of things were they saying? I mean, the world rugby funding thing is an interesting one because of course, uh, you know, I mean, my understanding was that the, the previous setup was that the, the money allocated from world rugby towards tier two nations was to be used for, for development purposes. It was to be used for, uh, you know, basically support of programs and things like that. And it was not to be used to pay players to run any kind of professional setup. So, uh, you know, perhaps if you could just maybe touch a little bit more on what they said about that and, and otherwise what they said about the centralized men's program. Yeah, that was my understanding as well, just what you said. Uh, and there was a couple of interesting things they mentioned. One, um, basically one of the, the questions from the crowd was uh, was about that funding. How much was World Rugby willing to invest more in Rugby Canada? And basically Jim Dixon said the, the, the short answer is no. And in fact, they've gotten less money from World Rugby this cycle than they did the last one, which was a little bit surprising, kind of disappointing to hear. Um, but it was – they were quite clear in saying that – World Rugby was putting a significant portion of this specifically for this high-performance national team kind of uh, development thing. Um, I mean, looking at the funds, it's not a great deal of money. Um, they were talking about it being the same level as the, the Carter guys, which get about 1500 Canadian a month. I think the development junior guys are on about 900 a month. So, I mean, obviously, you're not, you're not breaking the bank. There's a reason why some of these guys who are kind of calling it quits before maybe they should be. Um, it's because financially it's so difficult to do this. But, um, you know, they, they did say that it's not going to be on that kind of money. You're not going to be able to do to be a full time professional anyway. So guys will still be doing, you know, they'll have training in the morning kind of thing. They'll, they'll be some of the younger guys will be doing school or, you know, the guys who aren't in school will have like a part time job or something like that somewhere, that kind of thing. Um, but they do seem uh, quite adamant that they're going to get this going in the fall. They're targeting 20 guys. Um, I think they're, you can kind of presume that more than half of that will, they'll try to be forward types, tight, tight forwards, uh, specifically because they haven't gotten any funding with the Olympic, uh, car funding all going to kind of backs and the, some back row kind of players. But, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, obviously they feel that's, that's the direction they need to head to compete against, uh, all these countries, which have. Um, you know, more professional players. They made a point of pointing out the whole, the visa issue. Um, one thing I, I, I didn't ask, which I kind of forgot to, um, was the, about the Trans-Pacific uh, deal. I know we'd mentioned it in the past, whether that's going to affect uh, Canadians potentially going over to the UK and work visas, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I, I guess the, the, the bottom line about the, the centralized thing is you get everybody at the same place. They can train regularly um, together. Uh, I mean, that's one of the big things heading up to this Uruguay game is that everybody's centralized around Montevideo. These guys have been training together for weeks. So, uh, you know, and in many cases, I mean, 15 World 
World Cup guys in the squad. They'll have been training together for years in some cases. So certainly they're going to be a lot more cohesive than our guys who have, you know, largely new. So, yeah, you know, it, it was interesting to hear a little bit more in detail. And, uh, yeah, well, we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I mean, in many ways, it does just sound like a revival of what they, you know, the old Pacific Pride CCSD model, which, you know, is was has been lamented for a long time. His demise has been lamented for a long time. Uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting to you know, the chats that I've had with with uh, with Gareth in the last you know month or so since you know all the various things have been turning over and you know he did make some you know suggestions about plans and and that you know that they have a bunch of games in mind uh, you know the, the the key I think in the end is who they play you know the, the Pacific Pride was played in the CDI league which I think uh, you know it gave their players a week in week out model and it gave you know something to focus around. But but long term, they they needed to play higher level games, and that's certainly been the argument. Uh, and I think one that most people can get their head around that they need to play play teams that are you know that are similar to them or better, um, you know that are training as 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 if they you know this is their job and and uh, you know need to deal with. I mean, one of the things Crowley talked about at the World Cup. And uh, you know, reiterated uh, to me when we discuss, you know, when I chatted with him earlier in January after he left, um, you know, this that the players, you know, it, as as big a fan I think as he was of those sevens guys, and he understood why they were there and what they were doing. That you know, they they weren't playing fifteens, and that their decision making processes were were you know either not up to snuff or were were clouded by the fact that they were thinking about another game as well and and that sevens being such a different game from 15s now um you know that that you know guys playing at 9 10 guys playing uh in the back row that they need to be playing as 15s players which is a different game and so you know that that's the thing that I'm going to be watching for is okay, great, you got 20 guys centralized, but who the hell, who who are they going to play? You know, ARC is a start, but uh, yeah, um, that's yeah. a very good point. And for them right now, they they see they've got the new ARC, so there's you know five games. The guys will go, they'll play the CRC. Presumably, all the domestic guys will go and play the CRC. So there's another handful of games, not the same level, but it's, at least it's. You know, some kind of level, representative level. And then what they were talking about is a, a new Pacific tournament. Now, uh, the Pacific Challenge uh, evidently is, is still going on, but it's Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, Japan. And it's happen- actually happening right now, like kind of concurrently with the ARC. But I guess this is a new one that, that's in talks kind of to replace uh, what they had before. And that's being targeted for September, October. So okay. again, that's another four or five A level games for the domestic guys but that's still you're right that's only you know we're talking 15 games here yeah that's that's still a there's still a lot of empty weekends that need to be filled against meaningful competition you know and bursts certainly of training and and you know it's it's you know from a coaching standpoint you know i think the argument is that guys as a whole have been playing too many games um and that you know the happy medium is something along the lines of what you know an all blacks slash super rugby player plays which is something like 20 games a year 25 games a year um you know so you know if you're going for that okay then you can build in that those guys will be involved with you know the canadian tests and then you know the tour in november but like you said you know there's there's sort of weird gaps in such a schedule so you know there's definitely things to be meshed out fleshed out and sorted and um and and you know 
you know, you would ideally like to think that that could be a team that could go forward in terms of, uh, you know, even finding more of a league structure because it, you know, that helps sell the program to both the players and then potentially to fans because if fans, fans don't really, you know, fans latch on to what the competition is and, you know, they're not going to necessarily show up for what seems like an endless home tour game, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's interesting. It seems it seems like uh, they're really keen on this idea of super rugby, which would kind of fill in those gaps and give them a, a, a long term, uh, you know, a full length competition they could target on. I mean, that's that's a long term goal if that happens, and it, it certainly seems like Sanzar um, is keen on this as well. But that we're, we're talking three years down in the future, kind of thing at least. I mean, we get they got to find funding. There's all kinds of stuff. So it, it sounds like he's trying to get a team into notwithstanding what happens with, with pro rugby. I mean, who knows what happens there, but, but it sounds like he's, he's eyeballing some, one of the other Southern hemisphere competitions. I don't know if that would be uh ITM cup or whatever the, the NPC is now called in New Zealand, whether that would be a Vodacom cup thing in South Africa. I don't know how any of these would work logistically at all, but uh, you know, it, it seems like they do at least recognize that there is a gap. There is a hole there. They need to fill it with something and, um, they need to get these guys games. If if you know that's something that they are looking at, the other thought would be why not look at like the European Champions Cup? I mean, you know, the, obviously things have changed in Romania, but Romania ran a team in in lower level in the old ERC, and, and as things stand right now, there's a team in Russia in the middle of Russia. It's you know, it's as long. Yeah. I, I wrote about this last year. It's as it's as long a flight to the middle of you know to Krasnoyarsk as it is to the west coast of Canada. And the west coast of Canada is a lot nicer in winter than it is in the middle of (laughs) Russia. So, you know, I mean, uh, if they're willing to go that far, surely they'd be willing to go this direction. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously these are all pie-in-the-sky ideas and and whatnot, but, but, you know, that that, that itself would be something that might be interesting. I mean, it's actually, to be perfectly honest, something I remember years ago when I was still doing my, my summer job working at BC Rugby, I remember mentioning... To pres- president of the day, Mark Slay, I said, you know, we need to try something new. Why don't, why, doesn't, why don't you call up the Celtic League, as it was called then, and see if you can get a team in that? And, well, yeah, I remember that idea being floated around and having kind of a, a London Canadians franchise almost. Right. It was at the time where we had, you know, all those guys heading over to RGC 1404, and we already had a bunch of guys over there. So we were like, why not just put together a team of Canadians and play in that competition? And, uh, you know, maybe that's not such a crazy idea, of course. You know, they're not in Canada. You don't have the oversight. And, um, you know, whether the RFU or whoever would sanction that kind of thing, who knows? Um, you know, it, it's hard to figure it out. It's, but there's a, there's a hole. And I think everybody recognizes that we need professional caliber players now to compete. Uh, the question is, how do we get there? You know, before quickly, we'll talk about Canada Sevens. But let's be honest: could you could you do any worse than Benetton Treviso? Like, let's be honest here. Like, I mean, Crowley is going there because it's an enormous challenge. But uh, man, you know, like a, a BC Bears or a, you know a Canadian, whatever you wanted to call them, team surely could do just as well as that. <laughs> Maybe on the field, uh, you know, it's a fully professional environment. I hear Italy is a nice place to hang out, yes, so I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he's not too upset. Is, oh no, I don't think he. You know, I think I mean he's. I I think he is. In all honesty, he is disappointed to have left. I, I think he he didn't. He did like the program. He you know there was the challenge on the table, and I think he was ready to take it on. But 
Um, and hey, he'll have a token Canadian there. Rob Barbieri is still out there. There you go. So. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk. Let's just talk quickly about sevens. How are you feeling about things here? I know I've got people asking me, and I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I'm sort of thinking here. Well, you know, they got the, they've got to find the horses. They've got to pull a few things together. Um, you know, there was so there as as there has been almost every weekend. There have been some fine moments. Uh, but on the whole, there are too many mistakes, and I think the players themselves have been owning that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's tough. Um, certainly, they've had a lot of injuries. You look at their injury list right now; it's a little bit better this week. They're pulling in Mike Fulifal and and Dan Yakdala, so that helps. But uh, you know, they're still missing guys. Um, they, they've they've had some really, I don't know, mental issues in the defense. Um, which is frustrating. I don't know how much that has to do with coaching, how much that has to do with the individual players themselves owning up to it, some kind of really weak, soft missed tackles at a position kind of thing. Um, you know, just little mistakes, and they just add up, and I think it's just a mental thing. You get frustrated. You could really see it, I think, with uh, John Moonlight this past tournament. He's he's visibly frustrated out there. A, a guy like him who's pretty much game in, game out, giving everything, and, uh, you know, he makes the odd mistake, but... More often than not, he's one of the better players on the field, and it has to be frustrating for him coming from you know a couple of years ago the ranked sixth to to now. Um, and, and other guys, you can see the way Phil Mack is almost trying to force things now. Uh, it, it just it's a lot of frustration, I think, for them. Uh, hopefully, they can kind of get their heads into it. And uh, I think the the most important thing for me was getting a good start, and it just didn't happen against Kenya. They just I don't know what happened there, but they put on a couple tries and then it was just like the, the, the door broke and the, their heads dropped and it just didn't happen. So I think that first game, I think actually, we, is it New Zealand that we have up first this I, tournament? I think that's right. Oh, yeah. geez. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and I don't think anybody's expecting miracles here. Nobody's expecting to go out and, and make the cup fall or anything like that. I think we, we all just want to see them go out there and perform to their best. And we just haven't seen that over the course of, of, of a whole tournament yet. Uh, this season, as far as the actual team goes, I, I really think they're missing some X factor. Um, certainly, losing Connor Trainer doesn't help. You know, he has his, uh, you know, his strengths, his weaknesses. But what he does really well is he can make something out of nothing. You know, he'll he'll do something completely crazy. One of these, you know, kick off the foot into his hands or some not so thing. He'll he'll run a crazy line and he'll just make something happen. And and that kind of thing can really lift a team. We don't really have that right now. We don't have a lot of speed with Douglas and Duke out. Um, I just, I'd like to see a couple more players. I mean, obviously, you look at the U.S. and I mean, Perry Baker and Carlin Oswald. Can you say that's you know embarrassment of riches, really? And we don't have those kind of athletes in abundance. But we've got to look out there and reach and, and find somebody. Um, there's a kid coming up. I'm kind of pumping him up a little bit here from Nova Scotia. Brett Johnson. He's going to play in this ARC. Uh, he plays fullback for his club. He played wing for the uh, the Rock. He's a small guy. He's only like 5'9", 165, 170 kind of thing. But he is absolutely lightning. He's just got a ridiculous step. He can he beats the first defender almost inev- invariably. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of guy. He's 21 years old. That's the kind of guy I'd love to see in the Sevens program. You know, maybe he'll get a look now that he's actually getting a look for, for the ARC. Maybe they'll look at him after that. Um, I, I think we need a few more guys who can do that, who can do make something out of nothing and make, make things happen. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually intrigued to see Dalla back in. I think, 
you know, Liam, Liam Middleton didn't get any looks at him last year. And, and, you know, when we think back to how successful 2013, 14 was, uh, you know, there's, there's a picture that popped up on my, uh, my Facebook memories page. Uh, you know, I think it would have been last week and it was, uh, it was, it was a photo of me interviewing Nanyak Dalla after, um, after they'd beaten, I think it was France in 2014 in Vegas. In, in, and he sort of had gotten the ball about 15, 16 meters out and just kind of put his head down and went out a gap and just powered through somebody. And and it was a bit of a reminder how important Dalla was that season in particular, uh, in, in both, both in his defensive abilities, but his ability to attack with the ball and force defenses into places they didn't want to be. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he's able to contribute this week and whether, you know, he's able to, I mean, slot it in a, in a, in a, in a way that, uh, you know, that Middleton understands because in the end, you know, he's, he's a, he's a year into this job. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he still that wouldn't ha- won't have the understanding of his players that say Garrett John had, uh, you know, John built those guys into what they were and, and Middleton, you know, I think he's been clearly has slightly different views on on how how he thinks should be done. Um, so, you know, I, I think once he gets a guy like that in, you know, he knows he finally got to see from Mike Fulafau, especially late last season, what what he is capable of, and his his stepping a big man who can step like that is always useful in the sevens. Uh, so, so to see how they're deployed uh, in this in, this weekend will be interesting. Um, you know, and and your I think your point. I mean, I, I think I made it as well is that the lack of having a true burner in that squad was very, very difficult for them. You know, you look at that Samoa game that lost to Samoa and, you know, the Samoans obviously played very, very well. Um, but Canada had a lot of possession, but they couldn't ever really burst a gap. And a lot of that was just because it was that getaway speed, you know, they, they had power, but they didn't have a lot of getaway speed. So, uh, you know, that, that to me in the end and, and trainer, you know, you bring up trainer trainers, actually, you know, he, we, we've seen how fast he can be. You know, there's a reason why Crowley has had Kieran Crowley played him on the wing at times on the 15s. You know, that he's not he's not a top end winger speed, but he's he's quick, and uh, so that you know, finding that kind of athlete, you know, they they need more guys like that, and and they need to sort of start pushing things a little bit around a little bit and having a little more, you know, more options, I guess. And you know, Middleton is trying out some of his options. And you gave Phil Berna a little bit of a run. I think Phil Berna has a huge huge future in front of him. Uh, Luke McCloskey is still in the mix. We'll see if he's in the squad this weekend. Like, you know, you asked UVic coach Doug Tate uh, about Luke, Luke McCloskey, and he'll he'll go on for days talking about how quick and how important that guy has been to both you know, UVic's both their sevens and fifteens program. You know, the, the kick the kid can fly. Um, you know, transition to fifteens is a, or to to senior sevens is a big switch. But uh, yeah, we'll see how things go. Anyway, Brian, uh, thanks as always for joining us uh, this week. Hope we'll, we'll have you again on again soon, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, my pleasure. And uh, folks, so I'm heading over. I will be at the ARC on Saturday there checking things out. So feel free to say hello. And, uh, uh, you know, I'll write a few things based on what I see there. It's, uh, it is going to be a challenging one, isn't it, Brian? No doubt. Yeah. Uh, but it's exciting to have uh, something to break up these winter doldrums. Yeah, especially uh, for those of you out there who are really in the winter doldrums. I won't uh, tell you about how beautiful things were in Vancouver. Oh, wait, I just did. Uh, and... Uh, Folks, as always, try and tackle. You can find us in uh, iTunes. Please uh, rate and review us. It's great. It helps bump, bump up our uh, numbers up that old chart. And uh, you can find us on TuneIn. You can find us on Stitcher, uh, provincesports.com slash radio for all of our 
radio uh, uh, sports radio podcast. We'll uh, talk to you again soon.